The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. From our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a national democratic strategist, uh, a political analyst for a news radio station KNX in Los Angeles, and a columnist for The Hill in Washington, DC. If you'd like to read my columns in the Hill on the twists and turns in the midterm elections, uh, you can do that by going to muckrack.com front slash Brad Bannon front slash articles. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. Mondays on Deadline DC, I talk to the people and players behind the politics and policies uh, behind our great, that drive our great nation forward. This week on Deadline DC, it's crunch time, so we're going to talk about the midterm elections for the whole hour. In the first hour, our guest is Nick Guthman, who is the co-founder and co-executive director of Our Blue Future. Then in the second half hour, Sarah Jones, uh, editor-in-chief of Politicus USA, joins us to discuss the big uh, high-stakes races in Pennsylvania and across the nation. But before we bring on our guest, we have this clip from Christina Ramirez, who is the president of Next uh, Next Gen America, talking about the importance of the youth vote. Beto O'Rourke took 71% of the youth vote when he ran against Ted Cruz. So Republicans know that they've got to do something about the youth vote. So Dan Crenshaw, Congressman, and Greg Abbott, our governor, just did a youth vote summit for young people. It was like an all-white male audience of just a couple hundred people. Uh, looks nothing what Texas actually looks like, but it's just like a last-ditch effort, a sad attempt. Instead of adjusting their policies, spent pumping millions and millions of dollars to try and get the few young Republicans out to vote because they know that young people are overwhelmingly progressive. And then they also pass policies in some of the fastest racially demographically changing states. So Texas, Arizona, Georgia, where the older population looks very different than the younger population. You see a host of voter suppression bills. And in my home state, for example, um, vote by mail is only allowed for people over age 65, so automatically excludes younger people. Um, And so young people are the one group consistently that legislators will try and block from voting and exercising their full power, whether they say it's because they're students um, or in other ways by removing polling locations from campuses. You see a host of ways that Republicans state by state are really trying to diminish the power of young people because they have overwhelmingly lost them. And instead of change their policies to address their pain, they're trying to exclude them from voting. That was Christina uh, Ramirez, who is the president of Next Gen America, talking about the importance of the youth vote. 
And also to talk about the importance of the youth vote is our guest today. Uh, Nick Guthman uh, is the co-founder and co-executive director of uh, Our Blue Future, which is the largest youth-led progressive political action committee in the United States. Welcome back to Deadline DC, Nick. It's good to have you. Well, thank you for having me, Brad. I'm, I'm honored to be with you. Well, uh, that's an excellent point in the uh, in the clip we just played. Uh, their exit polls uh, usually show that uh, uh, a much higher, a lower proportion of young people vote than senior citizens, for example. Uh, there's a pretty straight age correlation. Uh, and as we heard from the clip, uh, Republicans uh, try to do everything they can do uh, to stop young people uh, from voting by making it as inconvenient as possible. Uh, so are we going to see anything different this time? Uh, or are we going to see uh, uh, young voters make a better, better effort at the polls? Yeah, uh, as Christina said in the clip, Republicans... Uh, are not for young people. In fact, they're not for the majority of Americans who believe in freedom and justice and fairness for all. And so when it comes to the youth vote, young voters understand that contrast as clear as day. They know which party is fighting for them, is fighting for our democracy, is fighting for our reproductive freedom, is fighting for our planet. And we look no further than the policies that have already been passed under Joe Biden's administration and democratic control of the Congress, right? We see that with the Inflation Reduction Act and the significant investments in a green, sustainable future. And young people are organizing to ensure that was the smallest, that is the smallest climate bill we will ever pass and that there's more to come. We see that in student debt cancellation uh, in recent weeks that are creating more economic opportunity closing the racial wealth gap in this country and allowing young people to pursue careers and invest in their community in the ways that they've always wanted to, but have been strapped by the student debt. And so, you know, I'm hopeful in 2020, young people had record turnout numbers uh, across the country and particularly in battleground states as a result of the organizing efforts of groups like Next Gen America, of groups like Blue Future and all of our partners in the field. And so I'm hopeful, but there's a lot of work to do in these next two weeks because there have been new voter you know, laws put in place that restrict our ability to vote in Republican states. And so we got to get out there. We got to turn out and this election will be decided by who shows up, just like uh, most elections are. And I'm faith. Uh, have a lot of faith in young people understanding the contrast and knowing what's at stake for the future of our democracy, our planet, and our people, our livelihood. Um, and they're going to turn out just as we did in 2020, just as we did in 2018. And um, and that's because of our efforts organizing for months on end. Okay. Uh, uh, we have two weeks left before the midterm elections. Uh, in fact. A lot of people, I saw one estimate uh, yesterday somewhere that uh, already 10% of the voters have voted uh, because of the early voting in uh, uh, some states. I've already voted, uh, and I urge everybody else to uh, vote as soon as they can, uh, while Republicans still let them. Uh, so uh, is there anything, uh, 
this is my reading. Well, first of all, let me ask you this instead of telling everybody what I think. They probably already know. Uh, where do we stand now two weeks before the midterm elections? Uh, there's a fight for control uh, of Congress. Uh, early in the year, this looked like a walk in the park for the GOP to control both, both houses of Congress. Uh, then after the Dobbs decision, it turned into a street fight between the two parties. Uh, most polls show there's some momentum building with the uh, for the Republicans, uh, increased concern about uh, inflation and crime, uh, decline in concern about abortion rights. Uh, where are we headed in the next two weeks, Nick? It's a good question. And I don't know that I have uh, more insight than others. But what I do know is that in these next two weeks, young people are talking to each other about what is at stake and thinking about ways that we can support each other to make sure everyone has the freedom to vote. Making sure our friends are have a plan to vote, right? Whether that means uh, rearranging their work schedule or school schedule to be able to get to the polls on election day. But as you mentioned, Brad, you know, early voting has started in several states around this country. And so election day is actually today, right? It's tomorrow. It was yesterday and it's the next day. The last day to vote is November 8th. And so, you know, we've been uh, modestly encouraged and optimistic about some of the early vote returns that we're seeing in places like Georgia, uh, where we're already seeing above average and certainly above uh, 2018, which was a historic midterm turnout. In many states, we're seeing that the numbers are being shattered, that we're breaking records already in the early vote period, which of course is a good signal and indication for the Democratic Party and how we will fare in the election. And so Again, young people, though, it takes a, a little bit more support. Sometimes it's their first time voting, uh, right? And, and we need to be able to support them and making sure they have a plan to vote and that they have the resources to go out and make their voices heard. Okay, our guest in this half hour is Nick Guthman, who is the co-founder and co-executive director of Our Blue Future, uh, which is dedicated to mobilizing young voters. Uh, we're going to go to a... Uh, short break for our radio listeners but we will continue uh with our viewers on uh, social media twitter uh and facebook and youtube uh but we'll be back with more deadline dc and today we're uh, focusing on the midterms uh, for the whole hour uh because there are only two weeks left uh, and uh, I think it's time for Democrats, if they haven't already, to push into high gear. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC right after these messages. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, by the way, for our radio listeners, uh, if you want to watch us uh, as well as listen to us, uh, you can uh, view the show, uh, the progressive uh, podcast for power politics and policy at twitter.com front slash Brad Bannon 
or on facebook.com front slash deadline dc with brad bannon front slash videos our guest in this hour is nick guthman who uh, from our blue future uh nick let me ask you uh, this question i was watching uh senator bernie sanders yesterday on cnn and he said that uh, Democrats aren't talking enough about the economy in this midterm election. He's going on a barnstorming tour uh, for the next nine days. Uh, do you agree with Senator Sanders or not? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Republicans in, in some spaces, may it may feel like Republicans are winning the narrative around the economy and inflation, gas prices and things of that nature. We have to be owning that narrative, right? And we need to be talking about the policies that we can put in place to ease inflation um, and to ensure that there's more economic security for all people, of course, for young people. Um, and that looks, you know, various different ways. Um, and, and we know that the Republican Party is not going to do anything to help with inflation. They are not going to do a damn thing to support economic security and freedom for people who, besides, of course, the top wealthiest folks in our country. Um, and, you know, I am reminded yet again of how we've passed policies already in this administration and with a Democratic Congress to help build economic security for young people and for all people. I'm thinking about the cancellation of student debt, which is one of the most effective ways to close the racial wealth gap, one of the most effective ways to give money back into people's pockets to start businesses, to be able to purchase homes and, and um, be able to pursue a career that they actually are finding fulfillment in and contributing to their community. So Democrats are for the people. We are for uh, economic uh, growth and security in a responsible, equitable way. And Republicans are not. And I think young people understand that. But as Senator Sanders says, we should talk about it more. We need to win that narrative, too. Okay. Uh, let's say, uh, let me ask you the question I was going to ask you before the break, uh, before we ran out of time. Uh, if, uh, you had a chance to do, uh, a 30 second television ad, uh, that would serve as the main democratic, uh, ad for the, uh, uh, last two weeks of the campaign, how would it go? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, that'd be a really fun exercise to do with some of the youth organizers that we get to work with at Blue Future. I think part of the message would be something to uh, the effect of, you know, Democrats are running because we believe that no matter what you look like, no matter where you come from, how much money is in your pocket, that all of us should have the freedom to vote, to make our voices heard, and to elect leaders who will pass policies that improve our lives policies that strengthen our environmental freedom and sustainability, policies that ensure we have the right to choose, right? And we have reproductive justice and freedom in this country, policies that support uh, our you know, ability to uh, live in safe and vibrant and healthy communities um, and achieve education um, and, and be able to pursue our dreams, right? And to live in a free society, not a society where we can't vote, where we can't have an abortion, where marijuana is still illegal all these years later, where college costs, you know, so much money to go to, uh, where healthcare costs are still high, drug prices are still high. And so Democrats are running for all of us, not just those who can afford to 
get themselves involved in politics, not those who can donate to political campaigns. Democrats are fighting for the people. And there's been so much progress made and so much still to go. I might have been a little over 30 seconds, but I'd say something like that. Okay. Let me ask you this question. Uh, I suspect this might be, may not be true of young voters, but one of the things the New York Times uh, released a national survey the other day, and it showed that uh, uh, concern about inflation has uh, gone up in the last uh, month or so. Uh, concern uh, among abortion about abortion has gone down. Uh, and I suspect, and I seem to remember from the crosstabs, that concern about abortion was still pretty high about young voters. Um, but uh, do you think uh, is that the reason for the Republican surge in the last couple of weeks? It may be. It may be. Um, and, you know, at the same time, we've seen polls that show increased uh, encouragement uh, and interest and enthusiasm from Democrats uh, across age and place and race and gender. Um, and so uh, it's hard to say, but um, I think that in these final two weeks, you know, my my call to action would be that if you're listening and for other progressives and Democrats uh, to get out there and talk to your friends, get out there and talk to your neighbors, to your kids and and tell them about how important this election is. Talk about what's at stake in your community. I've been involved a lot in my local community here in Culver City, California. There's a lot of important measures here. And um you know, this election is going to be decided by who turns out, who shows up. And we all have a responsibility to help make sure our people, our families, our communities show up and make their voices heard. Um, and young people know the, the stark contrast between the Republicans and the Democrats at all levels of government. And I believe that young people are going to take that knowledge of that contrast and make their voices heard in the election. Okay, let me ask you one last, one last question. We only got about a minute. A little forty. I don't know about minute and a half, maybe. Uh, I think American politics is really ugly right now, and I'm afraid it has to do with the uh, my generation of baby boomers. We've made politics very uh, nasty and divisive. Uh, do you think politics uh, will be better? uh and less divisive as uh people in your age group uh become a bigger and bigger part of the electorate and i hope you say yes i hope so too i i do believe that is true i think even young conservatives share some of our ideals about the environment and the planet right and share our ideas about racial justice too at some level and so i think that the polarization and divisiveness is is awful. It's ugly. It's why young people don't care about politics or why that stereotype exists, right? And so, you know, one of, one of my favorite parts of my job and of working in the youth space is the opportunity to show people what the best of politics can be and know that we are the leaders who are coming, right? We are the leaders who are going to be running for office, staffing campaigns, staffing congressional offices. We have a lot of work to do, but it's possible. A brighter future is possible. Um, and And, you know, I do think that it will take some time 
and we have to get through the next couple of elections. But we well, we have to get to. through this hour, Nick. Thanks very much for joining us. Our guest in this half hour is Nick Guthman, who is the co-founder and co-executive director of Our Blue Future. Good luck in the last two weeks. I know you're going to be very busy. Maybe you can come back after the election and we can do a recap. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. This half hour of Deadline DC is brought to you by my company, Bannon Communications Research, which polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. We're going to start the half hour with a uh, clip of uh Democratic uh, senatorial candidate John Fetterman uh, talking to a union audience in Pennsylvania. Some of you may be uh, all around the spectrum here, more conservative, more liberal, whatever it is. But I promise you, I promise you, the one issue, the one issue that there is will never be any daylight between me and you is that the union way of life. My opponent. Who knows? Was it nine, ten, or eleven houses that he had? Do you think he recognizes your life? Does he recognize where you live? Does he recognize the kind of issues that you face? Because my opponent want to make sure to end the union way of life here in Pennsylvania as well as in this country. Whoa. Uh, how can anybody be opposed to the union way of life who believes that you deserve a good wage, that you deserve to be able to support your family, that you deserve to have a safe job site. And if you are opposed to those kind of things, then to me, like I said, that's as un-American as I can think of anything more than that. That is Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman of Pennsylvania, who is running uh, for the U.S. Senate uh, against Mehmet Oz uh, in one of the most heated senatorial battles across the nation. Uh, joining us today is Sarah Jones, who is should not be a stranger to our listeners and viewers because she's been on the show uh, a fair number of times and she can't seem to avoid our phone calls or emails when we uh, uh, ask her to come on again. But uh, anyway, uh, Sarah is editor in chief of Politicus USA. Uh, and uh, she is, uh, if you want to uh, reach Sarah and tell her how astute her insights on politics are, uh, her uh, Twitter handle is uh, politicus, that's P-O-L-I-T-I-C-U-S, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, all one word. Uh, welcome back to Deadline DC, Sarah. It's good to have you again. Thank you so much for having me. I love coming on your show. So, you know, I'm never trying to avoid your phone calls. I'm just happy Well, I don't know. Them. Maybe you should. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, I know dear. a lot of people. Are you hanging on by, because hanging on by a thread? Yeah, I know talk? a lot of people avoid, try to avoid my phone calls. <laughs> um, that's why we have our intrepid uh, executive producer, Mark Amaldi. Who is so good. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. good, Mark. Uh, anyway. 
let's start with uh, Pennsylvania is uh, very important to the midterm elections. Uh, you've got a heated U.S. Senate race. Uh, you've got a heated gubernatorial race with an election denier running. Uh, you also have at least uh, one very close uh, House race. Uh, so there's a lot going on. First, uh, give us an update on the U.S. Senate race. Uh, what's going on there? Well, you know, Fetterman had a big lead and then he was getting he's recently been pounded by these really kind of misleading Republican ads about crime, which have been brought on. You know, Fox News suggested uh, that Republicans do that and they have done that around the country and it's been successful for them, even though it's not based in reality. So uh, that um, Fetterman's lead has been tightened, but he still looks to be leading on average of, of about two points. Um, and, you know, that also... By the way, uh, let me interject here. CNN yeah. released a new poll today uh, that shows uh, Fetterman leading Oz uh, 51 to 46. Well, see, that's what I was just going to say is that a lot of this polling in particular that I'm referring to was skewed by a Republican leaning poll. And you as a pollster know you're the expert on this, but you know what that does to the poll. So, you know, 489,000 voters um, have already voted and over 73% of those ballots were Democratic. So Fetterman has already banked a pretty sizable number of votes before we even get to election day. And I'm really glad you played that clip of him so that other people can hear you know, Pennsylvanians know him. They've known him since he was the mayor of Braddock, where he got his hands dirty trying to make lives better for regular Pennsylvanians. And that's basically what he stands for. And his case is very authentic in that sense. So he is having an easy time of making that case. And actually, I think he had appealed to a lot of Republican voters and now the Republican voters are coming back home. They're coming, they didn't like Oz, they don't trust him, they think he's a, a Democrat, but they are coming home to him due to all of these Republican ads that I'm sure you've seen them too, um, you know, about crime. Not, again, not based in reality. Uh, but good news over here with uh, the governor's race, Shapiro is up by nine points, which is a really good thing. Uh, he is the attorney general right now. He is a law and order candidate. He's also running on protecting abortion for to get the suburban votes. Um, he is a very strong candidate, and he's got ads running here about Republicans voting for him. I really don't see Fetterman ads, and if I could say anything to the Fetterman campaign, that would be it. But I've seen Shapiro ads since the start of this election. Um, Mastriano has really no money left, and he's pretty much only holding events for far-right election-denying Trump supporters, and he doesn't allow the press to come in. Um, basically, he's campaigning from Facebook and with his, you know, far-right gab-type neo-Nazi white supremacist uh, supporters. So hopefully, you know, that race looks good right now, and it will conclude that way. So the Pennsylvania looks looks good right now just you know like everyone else i can't predict who's going to turn out to vote and that's what it's all going to come down to yeah uh, i've gone out of prediction business myself so uh a lot can happen in two weeks so uh yeah. you just never know and that's when a lot of voters 
focus, you know, I mean, we talk about politics all the time, uh, but most Americans have better things to do and talk about. And a lot of voters just focus in the last uh, two weeks of the campaign where we are now. So uh, let's let's uh, now um, I believe there's a debate between uh, Fetterman and Oz tomorrow. Is that true? Right. Yep. Now, there's been a lot of controversy uh, uh, in the last week or so. Uh, Fetterman uh, did an interview, I think it was with MSNBC, where he was using basically a reader to uh, answer the questions, and that raised uh, questions about Fetterman's uh, recovery from the stroke he suffered uh, back in the spring or whenever it was. Uh, what do you look forward to in a debate tomorrow night? Well, you know, I don't think that I, I think that the national uh, media has kind of blown that up a little bit out of proportion. That interview in particular, um, Jason Eastley, my partner on Politicus USA, wrote a, a really important article about that. He has a disability and he was talking about how, you know, using assistive technology isn't something to criticize. It doesn't mean he can't do his job. Um, he is recovering from a stroke. This is part of the recovery process, but he's supposed to recover completely. Is that going to impact him in the debate? Uh, it probably could, but I don't know that that's going to be the win with the Pennsylvanian voters. A lot, a lot of Pennsylvanians, uh, like people in hard-hit states, have health issues, and you know they they kind of relate to. Fetterman over this rather than thinking, oh, yeah, you know, he can't do his job because he had a stroke. I mean, I hate to say it. I moved here from another state, so I'm not bashing Pennsylvania. I love it here. But this is not a state known for its healthy eating. So I just, you know, leave it there. We're not a crudité state. Far be it from Oz to know that because, (laughs) you know, uh, so I I don't know. I think it, it might take people aback if he struggles we'll see how that goes but so far he hasn't been struggling uh in in answering questions so and he's going to have a chance to probably rehearse these so okay okay and i should point out in the uh, governor's race that the republican candidate is a prominent uh denier of uh, joe biden's election i believe he was on in washington on the day of the uh, board of capital coup wasn't he yes he was and uh, not only did he bus people to that coup, uh, he claims he didn't cross the barriers, but there is video, I believe, of him doing that, the police barriers. Um, he's also, and I believe I've mentioned this before, but, but you know, it shouldn't be ignored. Um, he is a, he paid the, the Gab website where anti-Semites uh, and neo-Nazis gather and this is the same website where the the shooter from the Tree of Life synagogue, the largest, most horrific shooting of Jewish people in our country, mass shooting. Okay. Um, We're going to go to break now, Sarah. Uh, but we come back uh, with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon and our guest, Sarah Jones, Editor-in-Chief, Politicus USA.
Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Our guest in this half hour as part of uh, Midterm Madness here at Deadline DC is Sarah Jones, who is the editor-in-chief of Politicus USA. Her Twitter handle, by the way, is Politicus Sarah, P-O-L-I-T-I-C-U-S, USA. Uh, whoop, let me try that again. Politicus Sarah, all one word, and Sarah is S-A-R-A-H. Okay, uh, let's try this. Uh, my reading of the national polls, at least, uh, is that Republicans have gained some momentum in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the New York Times released a national poll yesterday or the day before uh, showing there's a lot more concern in the last month. Uh, well, I'll put it this way. Concern about crime and inflation has gone up. Uh, concern about abortion rights has gone down, and that has fueled a Republican surge. What do you think about that, Sarah? Well, I mean, I think we should always pay attention to polls and uh, fight uh, if it gives you I'm an glad opportunity. I said that because I'm a pollster, so yeah, yes. right. So, and and it matters because you're talking to voters, and so if voters, if this is what voters are saying, uh, then that needs to be addressed. And I did hear President Biden did address and make this closing argument today about what Democrats stand for, which needs to be done. Uh, Democrats need to close that argument on inflation. Republicans have not a leg to stand on on inflation. I don't know why the media is not putting that in context for voters, but Democrats have done everything they can to protect voters from being price gouged. And that is 50 percent of the cause of inflation that's going on right now is greed, corporate greed. So. Uh, what do I think about that poll? Well, that's another issue, you know, as an expert, it all matters about who they're asking, likely voters. Um, you know, it, it matters who they're asking. And it also, look, you, we look at who is likely to vote in midterms normally, and it's older people. I'm not sure a lot of older people, if they're doing like the people who usually vote in midterms, care about abortion. Uh, it doesn't impact you as much when it's not an issue that you're facing. As, as often, I'll just put it that way, I guess there's some people, you know, giving birth later in life, but most people aren't. So I also think that there's this, there's a distancing. Now, well, Republicans have, have hammered down the crime narrative, which, you know, they've been, and the media's ran with that. And we've, we've seen Fox News introduce that. And we've seen in studies that uh, the, the mainstream media picks that stuff up and they make it into a thing and that has happened. And I think it's really unfortunate because really what's at the what's at stake here is democracy. And then we look at individual liberty and part of an abortion as part of that. I also think that that uh, women have already who care about their individual freedom. They already know how they're going to vote. They may not be even talking about it anymore. I mean, the anger about that has kind of solidified into we are going to do everything. Um, you know, it's like when you live with a woman who's not happy with you anymore and she kind of stops talking to you. That doesn't mean everything's OK. And that's what I would say about that poll. Um, it's in there. Women haven't forgotten. Are they going to, you know, go ahead. Sorry. Let me ask you about this. Uh, I was watching Bernie Sanders on CNN yesterday, and he made the argument that Democrats have been too distracted and haven't talked enough about the economy, uh, which is the number one concern of voters. Uh, do you agree or disagree with that? 
Well, it's really hard to say. I mean, I think it's it's an easy thing to say, and, and maybe it's true. But I think the other part of that is, because I've had, got a list in my head, Bernie Sanders himself in Independent, but he's talked about it a lot. Um, Katie Porter talks about it. President Biden, Nancy Pelosi, those, you know, without Katie Porter, but Pelosi and, and Biden are the leaders of the Democratic Party. They've talked about it a lot. Is the message getting through? I don't hear the media putting this in context for voters. They do that, he said, she said, ask both sides, and then they just leave it there. Um, or then they use, oh, people are worried about this, so, so you know, that's going to be on the fault of the people in charge. Well, that is a natural assumption. People go there because if you're in charge, they figure you could have done something about it. Why doesn't the public, why don't they know that, re- that Republicans voted against stopping the price gouging? You know, well, that's, that's actually a very good question, Sarah, because uh, I remember looking at a uh, poll, I think it was uh, conducted for the news agency Reuters a couple of weeks ago, and they asked uh, voters about the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, the bad news was uh, hardly any, well, I'm not, that's probably a statement. Few voters knew what was in the Inflation Reduction Act. They didn't know about the, uh, you know, the uh, clean energy provisions. Uh, they didn't know about the Medicare provisions, which uh, cap out-of-pocket expenses uh, and uh, also gives the uh, government the power to negotiate using its uh, clout, uh, market clout with uh, pharmaceutical companies. The good news was if when they told voters about that stuff, they really liked it. Problem is, at least two weeks ago, very few voters knew, you know, knew anything about it. Why is that? Right. That's what I, I, I don't think it's just that Democrats aren't talking about it. Like here's um, just this, this clip of Katie Porter's went a little bit viral but just to reiterate and recap it for people, because in case they are talking to other voters, you know, let people know. So she had this claim and it got fact checked and it's true. Um, on average, 11.4% of inflationary price increases became corporate profits between 1979 and 2019. Oh, yep. uh, and since the 2020 pandemic, that number jumped to 53.9%. So over 50% of uh, these, this inflation, these price increases, is due to corporate greed. You know. Okay, well, let, let me ask you this question then. We knew inflation was going to be a big issue back early in the year. So why have Democrats failed to make that case? Because if you look at the polls... And you ask the people, inflation is the number one issue, and the people who are concerned about the issue are, you know, probably, you know, Republicans have a 15-point advantage over, you know, among people who are very concerned about inflation. What happened? Why didn't we make the case? I think that's a good question. I think Democrats could always do a better job with messaging. That is not their forte. Governing is their forte. That's a sad situation there. Uh, they're kind of like the person that's not good at marketing themselves. I would say that about myself. Um, I like to do the work, but I'm not. I don't like to talk about doing the work. So I think they're really crappy at talking up their their accomplishments, and 
their accomplishments are so in the weeds that it's hard for them to talk about. They get so into like all the details of the policy and wanting to be accurate about everything. And it's you can't message like that. Look at Republicans. They have one message. They stick to it. They pound it home. Even when it's a lie, they don't care. They just keep going. And I think the Democrats did not pick that one message. Um, so I think that's their on them and it's something they always do get wrong is they they are very bad at messaging um on the other hand you know sad, look at true yeah it is sad um and you know what i think in terms of gas prices for example um biden thought he had got um done all he could to get gas prices down and it was going to stay that way and then you saw um saudi arabia um wanting to do? Yeah, and they they are a lot of Saudi money has gone to Republicans in Congress. Um, I I just I and the Trump to, family. Yes, of course, yes. Um, but they're funding uh, candidates basically through this dark money, um, fun, kind of funnel, and so they know where to go. They know uh, what to do to make make the American people think. Oh, you know, got to vote for Republicans, and then I'll get cheap gas. Well, Republicans don't care about you having cheap gas, you know. Republicans care about making profits for themselves. And um, it's just, we're in a really bad situation in terms of having this context explained to the voters. So I feel so frustrated by that. I feel frustrated when I read these polls and think, how do people not know this? But then I talk to people every day that, like you mentioned earlier, that don't pay attention to politics. So I know you know they're just hearing stuff on the um outskirts maybe they watch the view the morning they vote and that will impact their entire vote so um we have democrats have got to find a way to make their messaging more simple yes they they do uh we only got about 30 seconds left so i'm going to ask you in 30 seconds what should the democratic closing argument be for the last two weeks I think the Democratic closing argument should be that if you care about this country, if you are worried about our national security and you want to know that you're safe and that your personal liberty will be protected and that the people in charge care about your pocketbook issues, vote for Democrats. Okay, well, that's great because that's all the time we have left. I want to thank Sarah Jones, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Politicus USA, for joining us, and also Nick Gunther from uh, Our Blue Future. Uh, We'll be back with next week with more Deadline DC and more Midterm Madness.